Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Echelon Cycling Podcast here, episode 54, and also our birthday, and uh, more about that later, Ewan has baked a cake. And uh, this is, of course, where we talk about all things that's happened in the world of cycling last week, and also look a bit into the future. And as always, I'm joined by Patrick Blake of Audi Cycling and Mr. Curry himself, Ewan Wilson. And I mean, guys, big news of this week, Lewis Hamilton going to Ferrari. Sorry, wrong podcast. Oh, wow. You were literally saying that we should type to some kind of weird crossover just to like get that involved, but no, still this is a cycling podcast. There is a link though. There is yeah. a link. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a weird crossover this week because oh, a day yeah. Pogancha came across someone. Carlos Sainz. Carlos Carlos Sainz on a ride, and also in the past, um, who's your Monegasque one? Sean Leclerc has gone on a little group ride with Bahrain Merida. Back in 2018-19 as well. So there are links. And Valtteri Bottas has a strong link to the to the Pro Peloton. Does a number of UCI gravel events. So don't even try to say they aren't connected. I mean, his wife is a pro cyclist. Yeah, That is very true. Thank you, Scott. F1 fans and cycling fans will come to realize that they have more in common than they realize. We all love a little bit of gossip. We all love a little bit of like, you know, a little bit of drama going on. And we all love rooting for an underdog and being severely disappointed. Baked in with, with a lot of nepotism and and upper class uh, professionals. Yeah, very I'm much like, back. And like a family lineage as well. We love that as well. You know, it's just the same sport. We love aerodynamics. Well, some people do. Very familiar with the Dutch national anthem. At least if you're a cyclocross fan. I'm pretty sure you and you baked the cake not because it's our birthday episode it's because it's the end of cyclocross on the podcast until the end of the season i have never been so happy to see the back end of the cyclocross season it hasn't enticed me for a number of years and this season did not disappoint and i think this world championship weekend was a perfect manifestation of this year in cyclocross everyone you expected to win won. yeah legit I wonder what the odds were for Machuana for winning because it was a pretty boring race and the pressure on him must have been weird because it's like you have to win. Like everyone's basically saying you've won this already before you even turned the first pedal stroke. But like he didn't disappoint. I mean, wow, when I almost start, not almost start list either. I mean, that was like his closest competitor. So, if, you know, it wasn't really close, really. Van Tornout does kind of like seem to pull out a good performance. Van Tornout came third. Or was it Newenhouse came second? He's had a very good season, to be fair. I thought we might as well just get the side across, but just, just kind of like done with. I am a little bit like disappointed we didn't get Pim Ronhar on the final podium. He's had a banging season. It would have been cool to see him get a medal here. Cause he's really been one of the standouts of um, the past couple months in cyclocross. More than Van Tornout, I would say. For sure. Antonov's just been like, like he won European champs and then he's come third in world champs. So it's like he really turns it on on the big stage, but all the other kind of World Cup races, it's like he sort of just realised that he wasn't really even contending for the World Cup win against the likes of Isabit and, and co. And just sort of like checked out of that and just decided to focus on just like the big events, which to be fair, pretty decent move. It's worked out because he's won European champs and finished third uh, today in the, in the men's race so i think that's pretty good it's better than finishing fourth place in all the other world cup races which nobody will be able to remember speaking of checking out a rider in top 10 
at a home race, Michael Borosh of the Czech Republic. Good result for him. Uh, he's never really come, I mean, anywhere near a major like World Cup victory or, any, or anything. So this is quite cool to see him get top 10 here at his home world championships, which also saw the end of Zdenek uh, Stiebal's career. The, the Czech rider who has been cyclocross world champion did not get a road contract either for the next year. And there is some form of um, symmetry as well for Van der Poel. He won his first cyclocross world championships in Tabor. And then winning the sixth again in the Czech uh, city is quite a nice little piece of symmetry. It's a shame to see Stibar go. It's kind of been a, a a bit of a name stay. Him and kind of like him and Banavamart and Sagan kind of phasing out was like the 20, you know, 16 dominant era of, of the classics. And yeah, it's a bit of a shame that we're kind of just seeing those guys phasing out now in the new era of cycling classic dominance through all the big names that we've talked about so much. I mean, is it the new era or we're kind of getting towards this new era? Because they're much fun for Wild well, Art. Uh, they're not getting younger. Well, I would say it's a consolidation of the post-COVID cycling era in a way. Because we had that big paradigm shift, I think, in 2020, 2021. There's been a consolidation in the past maybe two years of that paradigm shift. And uh, some riders know... Now in cyclocross. Well, in cyclocross, a li- like a, li- a little bit, but but like we're talking about like mainstays as well in in, in the in the pro peloton, like your Sega like Antman Avamats, Pinos, and so forth, like like who you mentioned. So yeah, I think it's this weekend was incredibly predictable in the men's, the women's, in all the youth races as well. You know, if you put a gun to my head and asked me to predict a winner, I probably could have got all of them correct. That's not a humble brag. That is just plain obvious if you watched any moment. Well, even if you've seen the results of a cyclocross race in 2023 stroke 24, it was a bit underwhelming. I'd be intrigued to see what the sort of viewing figures were for these races because, yeah, I think the only one that got a bit of a surprise was the relay events, that silly little team relay thing. That was won by France in the end and actually quite a close sprint between France and Great Britain I guess that was the only real surprise of the week every other race it kind of felt like a done deal from lap one you weren't so good at predicting you should just start selling your tips on Twitter like everybody else does well I mean I mean sorry <laughs> but like which which guy is paying like 50 pounds to have like access to these cyclocross predictions tips when it's like the best the best rider of the men's world best rider of the women's world best rider in the other 23 is in both categories like it was so obvious who was going to win all these races do you think that was maybe the course as well because it wasn't particularly could have been harder but then if it's harder does that not also enforce bigger gaps because you have Probably. bigger differences in the riders like Van der Poel is, is we know he is the strongest anyway but if it's a harder course with all these different obstacles maybe that makes him win by even more yeah he's just gonna win <laughs> just just a hot dog circuit on, on grass just just do grass league and and then about cyclocross just no no technical coordinates at all because then maybe they'll have a shot nobody will probably beat Van der Poel even at that point sure if Saudi Arabia or the United Arab Emirates bids for a cyclocross world championship that that might be what it looks like speaking of bitch that Eula tour Yes. Oh God! The newly named Alula Tour, formerly known as the Saudi Tour, which okay, I was its cheerleader last week. I'm not being paid by them. I wouldn't be surprised if they were bankrolling someone to um to give them good promo. But it was an okay week of racing. I'm gonna say that it wasn't awful, but it wasn't amazing. The first stage was won by Casper van Uden of Team DSM Firmenich Post NL. Breathe. 
Second stage was won by Sören Vadenschold in an almost symmetrical finish to last year that he took the same stage win on. Tim Mollier won stage three and four. Interestingly, with one of the longest sprints we've seen in a sprint finish over the past couple of years, he had to sprint for over 20 seconds in the finale, which is mightily impressive if you know sprinting statistics. And the final stage where everything was fought out at <clears throat> the sky views of Harat Urayid. That was won by Simon Yates in a little sprint between... Uh, William Lecaire, Le who's had a lot of hype over the past year, ahead of Finn Fisher-Black as well from UAE Team Emirates, who has been going from strength to strength over the past 12 months. So, interesting results there at the Alula Tour, which meant that the home team, in quotation marks, uh, Simon Yates took the overall win, ahead of William Lecaire and Finn Fisher-Black in third. And interestingly, Bora Hansgrohe's new signing, Matteo Sombrero, came in fourth place. There we go. Also, Brian Kokar got a top 10 in this race. Isn't that impressive? Yeah, he's just very surprisingly good at climbing. It's, it's very easily slept on as to how good the climber Kokard can be. So I'll be honest with you, I tuned in to like minute highlights of this race because I was just like, yeah, sprint, sprint, sprint. I am kind of surprised on stage five that Simon Yates won like when Micah and Finn Fisher Black were in that front group for UE. I would have thought they would have maybe done some one two attacks to at least kind of challenge it, but it looks like they just kind of like rode as a four and just were hoping to beat Yates in a sprint with Finn Fisher Black, I guess. But I don't know. That's just kind of like by the way. You know, you could just hire me as a consultant to kind of give this kind of advice post um <laughs> post race. Anyway, you could cut out if you want. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Simon Yates wins. After not winning the tour down under, I guess this is a decent consolation considering that Alula is a big backer of the Jacob Alula team, obviously. Um, would you think that the team would have preferred the tour down under win or this win? Which one do you reckon is more important? I think they were even more confident about Tour de Lander when they were when they were talking about it pre-race as well, saying they have they have a chance to win every single stage in that race. Um, it didn't come to anything. I was intrigued to see how underwhelming they were in the sprints, however, during that week of racing. Nowhere to be seen, really. Uh, instead, Timalia really, I mean, kind of wiped the floor clean in that category, which points towards good things for him this year. Once again, raises questions about his Grand Tour starts as well this year because he's, except the fact that he's not going to the Tour de France, where does that place him for a Grand Tour start? Does he go to the Vuelta? Does he go to the Giro? We don't quite know. Do you want to talk more about Saudi Arabia or do you want to move on to Vuelta, a black community, Tour Valencia? <laughs> Probably Valencia, yeah. I guess. Because, I mean, there wasn't, Alula Tour wasn't super interesting in terms of its racing. I don't think it gave away too much. Yeah. about how the season's going to pan out. I think Valenciano was a more interesting race with a higher caliber of uh, of riders. Yeah, you got something right, Patrick. You predicted Mate Morage to take a win, and he won it. I did. Well, hang on, before we quick go on to that, I would like to point out, people talk about Rampas in Humanas and stuff like this at this time of year. I would like to clarify, I think we need to have a bit of a categorization as to what Rampas in Humanas means. I think, for me, People are like, it's 16%, it's Rampas in Humanus. It's not really, because like, I ride up a hill, but 16%, I'm not a pro. No, but I think it's 16 like like a couple kilometers, then that's in Humanus. Yeah, that's well, different. 
Well, yeah, but like people like this Saudi tall thing is ramp pass in humanos because it's got one little like hairpin which is steep. And I'm like, bro, is it really though? Is it really ramp pass in humanos? Send them up Rosedale chimney, but I'll freaking know what ramp pass in humanos is then. Anyway, sorry, rant over. Ramp pass in humanos needs to have a bit more of a logistical where does it start? 30%. 30%. Okay, that might be a little bit too much. I was going to say one. I just think that people say like it's 12%, it's ramp pass in humanos. I just don't think it is better. Sorry. Valenciana. Just because people said that this included Rampas and Humanos on stage four when it didn't. But it kind of did because it was lasted for a long time. But anyway, sorry. Where were we? Mahorich. <laughs> you predicted that right, yeah. I did. I said that he was going to attack on that descent, and he did. And everybody knew that he was going to do it, and nobody could stop him, and he won anyway. So that's pretty impressive. Let's just take this one uh, chronologically. Stage one. Um, <laughs> a fantastic affair for the now known VF group, formerly known as Baldiani HSF. They took a 1 2 with, with Alessandro Tornelli and Manuele uh, Tarozzi, despite the fact that they almost went the wrong way around the roundabout uh, with a couple kilometers to go. Stage 2, as you mentioned, went to Matej Mohoric on a descent. Jonathan Milan won a sprint on stage 3. Stage 4 went to Brandon McNulty after battling out with Santiago Bitrago and Sasha Vlasov on the Rampus Inhumanus Asterix. And finally, on the final day, Will Barta managed to outsmart the Peloton to take a final stage win ahead of the sprinting Jonathan Milan behind. This meant that Brandon McNulty took the overall win ahead of Santiago Pitrago and Sasha Vlasov. Also in top 10 includes Alessandro Tonelli, surprisingly, who finished in fourth place, fifth to Jai Hindley, sixth to Pale Bilbao. I mean, they're only really the guys of note that we should really mention however i will say paul double who was on the sinking ship that was human powered health had a fantastic tour of slovenia last year and the year before he moved to porticometa very quietly and managed to get 11th place here at gc so fair play to him yeah that's very true and also what's the name um lonardi had some very good sprints for porticometa as well i think he finished third and second in some sprints which I know it's not the highest quality sprinting field we've got here, but, you know, results are results. Palti Kometa, despite their slightly odd kit, have pulled out some decent results this week. So, fair play. Chapeau. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Milan getting a first day joined for his new team as well. That's something to shout about. Especially since he said going into this race that he was just, like, not basic. He wasn't sure what his legs were like, and he was just going to sort of, you know, test it out and just kind of see what the sensations were. And then he wins, and he seems to just be climbing spectacularly well, too. Like, getting over that climb on stage 5, which Will Barter won. That was, like, 5 kilometers at 9%, which, again, is not ramp in inhumanas. And, you know, like, he made he made, he made made that when lots of other sprinters um, were, were dropped. And I just think that's really impressive that he was able to do that for such a, for a guy who's just... Like, he's big like you know this is like a kittle-esque rider and kittle wouldn't have made that in the past so this show this new breed of sprinters just mental also it was cool to see milan and consoni link up track mates in the italian national team they've not been teammates at least at the professional level in the past and uh, seeing them link up here was really cool and very successful so that could point towards um, a new little sprinting duo dynamic that we have here. Consoni, I think, in his nature, could be a fantastic lead-out man. Didn't quite provide that at Coppedis when he was there. Had some chances for himself, but now I think in that role, 
he could be really influential. And he knows Milan very well, as I mentioned from his uh, from their well joined track background. Maybe Lidl track in the off season will try to get um, Elia Viviani as well to join that squad, or Pippo Ganna just to sort yeah. of round out the Italian track racing team. That would be pretty cool. I mean, Brendan Rinaldi, we were talking about it last week, and then it just goes from like relatively obscurity. We don't know if he's doing the tour and the or the Giro, and then bang, just wins the Tour of Valenciana. I think that was pretty cool. It's super cool because he, he is the kind of guy who is definitely has these kind of results in him, but doesn't necessarily get the opportunity to chase it out. And it was super cool to see see him have this chance here because it would have been easy for the team to say, Felix Groshan, you go for it. You kind of won these races and beat no, him. No, 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 no. Groshan is not better than Mike Nolte. Come on. Come on, Ben. Groshagner is like a oh, top Grand Tour cont- contender from back in the day. Yes, and, um, come on. In the Welter. <laughs> yeah, in the Vuelta. Come on, come on. It's come a Grand Tour. It's when it was under the Welter. Oh, yes. Outrageous, Scott. In the Tour? Has he guided up Jonas Wingo and Tabagacha? No. That's because they just sit in a cryo chamber and get brought to the Tour and like us layer of cling film and bubble wrap like Jonas isn't seen for any single interesting Wait, race of the why year. are we talking we're not talking about Jonas right now well um, we can always link back to Jonas <laughs> always can listen it's, it's a well proven concept what were we even talking about uh, McNulty McNulty yeah. getting the win which um, like, to be fair cool. I kind of shat on McNulty being well didn't you call him McFulty I did. Um, yeah. I, 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 I did yeah, say he wasn't quite cut out for GC leadership roles. Yeah. That yeah. that didn't date very well. It, it only <laughs> took one one week for that yeah. commenting to uh, to to age badly. I think Patrick was more showing his case, and as we used to about him having maybe the chance to lead teams at these kind of smaller races. Yeah, Patrick, were you saying that this was the UAE two hundred IQ move here that they're gonna? Yeah. And I was laughed at. Yeah, that's true. Was laughing by both of us. <laughs> by two people. I would not be... I mean, I'm just looking... The only other race that McNulty has uh, has down, just to kind of round this up, is, is Paranese. That's the only race he's got down for. You know, there's Remco going here. And there's, there's... There's no, like... I don't think there's any Pogaccia here. And I don't think there's any Jonas here either. I think it would be really interesting to see if McNulty could convert this into a, a Paris podium finish. I think that would be a good uh, progression. Yeah. Also, looking at his previous performances as well, he's he went really well this part of uh, of the year in 2022. Had a really strong start to the year with uh, the winner trophy at Calvia in Menorca, in Mallorca rather, and then another podium as well in the Mallorca Classics, then went on to do well in Algarve, finishing second, won the Fonardash Classic in the Rhone Valley in France, went on to win a stage at Paris-Nice. Um, maybe it's kind of replicating that form. He was good in 2022, but didn't really lead any teams that year. So maybe it's going to be a similar fate, but that year at least he went to the Tour de France. But um, unless something miraculous happens, I don't think he will go to the Tour de France. Also, by the way, his pro cycling stats is number four rider this year so far. What's well, played, Brandon? Oh. That's good. Stop the count. Oh no, Jonas is washed. He's not even on there. 
he was he was tiny it's always everything's just a complete lie i mean we might as well switch our focus over to france etoile de Bessèges. obviously great result for mespilism but uh yeah you and what happened in the race well the stars of Bessèges, the etoile de Bessèges, began in a um, chaotic form stage one was cancelled uh, due to farmer protests, you can Google this. This is a widespread French thing that happened this week where farmers protested all across the country. That cancelled stage one, which, not gonna lie, for most patient, I'd be I'd be quite annoyed because, um, I mean, of course, solidarity with the farmers, but this was a really good stage for him where it had that really steep, I would say, Rampers and Humanas kind of style sprint finale in Bellegarde, which is like a staple of the Etoile de Passage. I love this stage. Happens every year. Arnaud de Lee won it last year, I believe. And um, Kokao's one in the past, but it's usually it's like this really strange sprinting uphill finale that reaches 10%. Nevertheless, stage two is where the race actually started. Confusing, I know. Axelons took the win, the man who won the uh, under-23 world title here in Glasgow. He took that one ahead of Maz Payson, Kevin Vauclin and Kevin Geniet, the Battle of the Kevins. Great win for, for Axelons, uh, the Frenchman, who's had a really good sort of 12 months, you have to say. Mas Payson took the following stage, however, in Bessege, ahead of Milan Mente of Lotte Destiny, had a fantastic 2023, and Rasmus Tiller, the former Norwegian champion for Uno X Mobility. This put uh, Mas Payson in the leader's jersey, a jersey that he didn't lose uh, until the end of this race. The next stage on stage four to Megen Le Clap. Uh, Samuel Leroux took the win for Van Rysel Roubaix, formerly known as Lille Metropole Roubaix. They might have had another name by then. The team that wears the very, very pink kit. That was one from a breakaway with Stefan Bissiger, EF Education First, and Dries de Bont, who I completely forgot moved to Decathlon. Um, he was riding for Alpes and de Koenig before, GDOS stage winner in the past, former Belgian national champion. Uh, he finished in third place whilst Jonas Wiedebarje took the sprint win in the Peloton, a rider who just moved to Unimax Mobility in the off-season. Then finally, the iconic uphill time trial that we end at all the Bessege happened once more. It was a good day for EF Education first, with um, five riders in, in the top 10, but they didn't take the win. That went to Normandy's very own Kevin Vauclin, who took the win ahead of Maz Payerson and Alberto Bettiol, who finished in third place. That's also your top three, but not in that order in the GC. Maz Payerson took the overall win just two seconds ahead of Vauclin, with Alberto Bettiol in third, Ben Healy in fourth, and Rémi Orchaz, the new signing for Groupama Francais déjà, in fifth. There we go. I honestly think if stage one happened, I think it would have ended very similar to how stage two did. I think it would have been a very similar top 10. It would have been Le Laurence. It would have been Pedersen. It would have been Geniette. I think it would have been those sorts of riders who would have been there. So it basically, I think it wouldn't have changed the GC by having that additional stage in there. However, it would have been nice to have that there. I don't know. I'm not sure what to take from this race because we've seen Vauclin do well in early season French stage races but You guys were all over him last year. Well, you well, were being realistic. Okay, the three of us were the Ardenly uh, cheerleaders, but you two, Kevin Vauclin, oh, you were having some great moments about him. But this, this, this is fun. True. It's um, <laughs> The face says it all about you, Andrew. He's, he's building better this time. <laughs> Trust me. He's only Maybe. like 22. Yeah. I think that it was a really impressive TT from Vokla. I was, I honestly thought Pedersen was going to win. But I think the main thing is that like Pedersen was always sort of a favorite for this race. And he just, you know, pretty easily took, took control of it. So 
Yeah, I, I don't know what this means for Pedersen, only honestly, because of course he is building towards a very, very busy year. Very similar to last year, you could say, in terms of kind of a number of race days and a number of serious events that he's going to, like the high caliber ones. But he's not up against that kind of competition here, so I'm not sure whether this is just kind of like whether to just kind of take this as a oh, this is just kind of good form, or whether to actually read something into this. All I'm seeing is that Vauclair has improved on last year. <clears throat> last year he finished fourth in this state in this race. This year he finished second overall. Um, the Tour des Alpes Maritimes et du Var is coming up very very soon, and I'm just going to say we're going to see a Kevin Vauclair earthquake in the south of France. It's going to be felt all around Europe, and Kevin Vauclair is going to light up the score sheets in 2024. Last year, he gave us a little bit of an, an amuse-bouche into what he could bring to the world of cycling, and this year it's going to be the full. It's going to be the full main course. Um, but I mean, there isn't really much you can take away from this week. I'll be honest. Um, I mean, what is there to say? It's kind of like guys who have gone well in the early part of the season before, like Milan Menta, um, going well. Like Berto Betiol always does well in this race. He's finished on the podium here, what, three times in the past? Um, so, like, there's not that much we can really take away. Pearson's also done well in this race before. Like, there's not much to analyze. But Axelance, I think, rode a good good race to win that first stage. Um, it definitely goes to show that he is a talent. It's a shame he kind of got dumped last year with the B&B project folding. And he didn't really get the chance to ride as many wall tour races as he should have. But this year he's back on the wall tour team and um it'll be interesting to see what he can bring. What about Pillison? Do you not think this could be his year to topple the big juggernauts, get into that last echelon that he's not Did this race really give you a glimpse of that? Like I'm I'm not no. doubting that that Payerson is going to be up there. I think he's a great rider. He's such a hardy sprinter and a tough, tough day. Payerson is fantastic. It's a shame he's around now with all these Galacticos. If he were around in the mid-2010s, that man would be hoovering, vacuuming up big race wins. It's just a shame he's riding against so many like super versatile riders. We saw that at Glasgow in the Walls that he was incredibly strong that day, but just he's got these like super talents of Pogacar and Ravenard and Mathieu van der Poel to contend with all the time. It's a shame. But um, I don't think this race really tells us anything that we didn't know beforehand. He'll probably go on to win at least one World Tour sprint in the next two, three months. Wait, did you just call Wout a super talent? I think that's the first compliment you've said of Wout ever. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that's so feeling generous on my birthday. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is quite, well, like you guys said, we don't know anything until we hit the cobbles and, you yeah. know, I do, I think based rather, rather solely on the world champs last year, the fact that Pedersen, like we had these Pogacas and Wawanarts and Vanderpools in a complete different tier to Pedersen. And I think that if there is going to be anybody in the peloton who can breach into that category i think pedersen's the guy because he was like you have to, he was so close to being third like he almost beat pagatru on that world champs day and the fact that he's even there is is insane that shows he almost is on the same level he beat what i'll do this 
Sorry, yeah. Scott. I'm going to consolidate this by mentioning the Ronde van Vlaanderen last year as well. Yes, exactly. One of the most attritional monuments we've seen in a very long time. He was fantastic in that race, very daring. Uh, maybe if he wasn't quite as daring, he would have had more left in the tank, but he left everything out on the road and still got a podium place in that race, out sprinting guys who probably or who had easier times in the race that, than he had. Like what went on? Well, exactly. And also <laughs> guys who were hanging on in, in that group as well, Nielsen Powers and so forth. I know they don't have the natural sprinting skill, but they weren't quite as uh, as exposed and solo as uh, as Pearson was in that race. So I think the World Championships and the Ronde van Vlaanderen proved that he has real strength of character and real sort of fortitude. Earlier on, I was talking about longest sprints in pro cycling. One of the longest sprints we've had at a Grand Tour in a long time was that sprint in Limoges last year that Pearson took the win at beating guys like your Jasper Philipsers, like your Wout van Aert, um, who are a little bit more sort of, they're, they're, they're lighter, they're more sort of built for the sprints, but Payson just sort of smashed it through on what was a really, really long sprint and took the win. So I definitely think if anyone's going to sort of smash through this Galacticos and win a monument this year, Payson's my man. We just need Paro Bay to be wet and then he'll probably win it. Well, Even at Paro Bay last year, he definitely showed... Oh yeah, four. Like four. Yeah, because he struggled at Paris Bay. If you look at his Paris Bay record, it's not particularly great until last year, and he was right up there again. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Mas Payson win at least one World Tour Classic this year. He should really. Do you think Pedersen's winning a monument this year? I don't know. I, I also can tell you which one it was. I'd say probably Ronda because he's got the best record there. Yeah. But if if a Sanremo came down, like he looked good at Sanremo last year, definitely improving on where he was before. If he was up there in Sanremo and it was more of a sort of group sprint kind of scenario, I think he could definitely be there. Could he hang on to? Is that basically can he hang on to a Van der Poel attack if it goes on the Poggio? Well, I say if when it goes on the Poggio. If he does and he hangs with him and it's a one-on-one sprint, I think Pedersen hasn't. At the same time as well, would Maz Pearson do a Jasper Sturven kind of thing and try to go on his own because? People yeah. know what, what Payson could bring in a sprint. People might, might be a little bit afraid. He also might sort of want it to be in a sprint scenario too much. But if he was a little bit more daring and went out in his own and used that big engine that he has, does he have a better chance of winning a solo than in a sprint? Should he try to play that game? We haven't had sort of big group sprint for Sanremo for the victory since 2019. That was before the COVID paradigm shift in the sport. So maybe uh, he has to evoke the spirit of his uh, current teammate, Jasper Sturvens, take the win. I think he could do it that way, for sure. I think, like you say, if people look around and be like, oh gosh, Pedersen's on my wheel. There's no way I'm going to take him to the line. Maybe if you're white night, you might fancy your chances. But I think that if you're a Pogaccia or Pogaccia Mohoric, Van der Poel, I think you would be quite nervous of the fact of Pedersen doing that. But if you just, you know, if Pedersen's just by himself and he's got two seconds, you know, two seconds at the bottom of the Poggio, is almost like 10 seconds in, in San Remo. It's kind of weird because people just really very quickly start looking around. I'm like, we're, we're almost focusing in that San Remo is the one, but I don't think it is. I think it's Pyro Bay. Think, yeah. You think it's Roubaix? Like you and said, he had bad luck. Like he had a real tough Roubaix. It's very possible that he could have better luck. And he's got yeah. he's got a good team too. Yeah, I mean, Roubaix is probably the worst one to try and win because anything can happen, literally. Also, I think just... Roubaix breeds like uber specialists, like guys who really smash Roubaix and we don't see them elsewhere. I don't know if we've quite seen that much wonderful. <laughs> okay, okay, but like in terms of there are guys who can get a really great result on Roubaix and not quite be there at other races. Like 
Casper Asgreen, for instance, winner of Ronda Blanche, yeah. never ever top 10 power base, been there like four or five times. Matt Payson until recently, not quite been up there. Peter Sagan until he won that race, nowhere to be seen in Paris Bay. Like, Ronda is the most obvious in terms of his, his, his track record. Once again, it's a shame that he's around at the same time as Van der Poel and Pogaccio, who are so, so good at that kind of profile, because can he beat both of them? Don't quite know, unless it's like a sprint scenario. But can he beat Van der Poel in a reduced bunch sprint? Asgreen beat him. No, but we all remember. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> again. You just remember like that. It's just when they attack up the Paterberg. Like, we all remember it. Like, it's just such a savage attack. When Van der Poel and Pogaccio go, I'm just like, I really just struggle to see anybody. Like, even Van Aert, I just really think that it's like Pogaccio and Van der Poel. Maybe that's just the recency bias of, of last year kind of playing. But I just think it's just going to be really hard for Pedersen to follow it but I do think that he, he could do it if he's got absolutely magic legs and he's had a really good day up to that point and hasn't had to deal with any mechanicals or setbacks and he's got the freshest legs possible it's, it's possible he could hang in Lombardia are we saying he wins Tour of Lombardy how long much about a bill you do this one I'll slide him into it nobody's beating Tare. Yeah, no one's being like Lombardia. It's such a hard era to be like a sort of fifth best puncher in the world because like there's such like a big like upper echelon of guys, and you got the couple in between. I think Payson's not far off being a Galactico. He has like really really strong results. He's a world champion for Christ's sake, you know, the best world champ. Well, it, I was, yeah, that was a banging world championships. Absolutely, that was yeah, banging cargo. <laughs> Uh, in terms of the men's race, at least, Idri or or Haynes Babelham may be a little bit more realistic this year. Yeah. Sorry to rain in his parade. It's true. No, because Matteo Jorgensen is actually winning those. That's... I've already called it. I've already called that Matteo Jorgensen is winning E3. It's going to be Matteo Jorgensen and Wild Vanard coming across the line holding hands, and Wild Vanard gives the win to Matteo Jorgensen because Wild's going to win next week at Ronda. Away. Oh, <laughs> I've never heard that one before. But anyways, we might as well move on. There were um, national championships going on. No, it's not July already. We had uh, South Africa's world champ national championships going on. Brian Gibbons winning the road race. And I think he won the TT as well. And then we also had the Ecuador national championships as well, where the winner in the time trial was Richard Carapaz, but it was not him in the road race. Who was it? No, it was the very informed Jonathan Narvaez of Ineos Grenadiers. He took that hand of Carapath, who finished in second place. Third place goes to Jefferson Alvedo Cepeda. That's the one who rides for Caruel. Whilst Jefferson Alexander Cepeda, the one who rides for EF, finished in fourth place. Really wish their parents gave them different names. Um, nevertheless, Narvaez just carrying on the really great form he had in Australia. He was fantastic in Tour Under and at the Ocean Road Race thing and that silly little criterion beforehand. Um, so cool to see him win that. And if you look at the podium celebration, they bring out this like hog roast. Like they're all on the podium and there's this huge tray of what I think is like just like a hog roasted pig. Narvaez and Carapaz just like eat a little bit off this hog roast whilst they're on the podium. I wish I had more context for our Ecuadorian viewers out there. Can you please... Give us a little bit of context as to why there was um, a cooked pig presented to Jonathan Narvaez after winning his national championships. But 
um this does also put an end to an iconic era let's let's light a let's light a candle in memory of the very very cool ecuadorian ef national champions jersey particularly the one for this season we'll see in the time trials but like not really um so it's a Ouch. real it's a no Come on. but like time trial stages aren't really like big deals um, and you're saying that Richard Carapaz is not someone we're going to see in a time trial, basically. Well, there's only like 10, 12 time trial stages per year. So like that's like minimal amount. And if he goes so early, we don't get it on camera. Then what's the point? It's only like 30 minutes. If it's if it's a prologue, we only get that jersey on screen for six minutes. Come on. I want that jersey back. Ineos Grenadiers, you better do a good job. If they don't do a good job, which they probably won't, um, I, I will demand... Medavayas ceremonially hands that national champion's title to Richard Carapaz in the name of fashion and style and taste. But I mean, staying on Carapaz, uh, Ewan, you had some insightful, well, few nuggets of, of Carapaz. Obviously, last year he didn't quite achieve the big bill that he, he was brought to the team because of a crash on stage one of the Tour de France. But yeah, what, what's kind of the murmurs around Richard Carapaz? Well, definitely a disappointing Tour de France last year. He crashed on day one. Uh, you spoke to Jonathan Walters last year um, about how he got Richard Carapaz and uh, the big effort that, that the team and the sponsors put into actually securing the rider and making sure they have a legitimate Grand Tour contender for 2023. Didn't quite go to plan, but this week Jonathan Walters in the media uh, was, was talking about Carapaz being the most talented GC rider they've had on that team in any iteration so it's going to be interesting to see what this team what what Carapaz will bring this year given that he's got such backing within the EF setup uh, despite the fact he hasn't really given them any major results so far a win last year at the Mercantour Alp Classic uh, in the south of France it's the only thing really to go by alongside I mean a strong sort of Italian classic season towards the end but no real victories not even a sort of world tour race podium apart from uh, a, a day he sprinted well in the Criterium de Dauphiné when he lost out to uh Julien Philippe in La Chaise Dieu so definitely in need of really proving himself this year otherwise he could fade into obscurity very quickly especially once those golden armbands disappear well they won't disappear but they'll become a lot less important after the Paris Olympic Games, assuming that he doesn't win on that cobble course through Montmartre, which I don't think he will. That's very true. I'm just looking back through EF's teams through the years, and Scott has informed me before um, recording that I can't go back to the can liquid liquid gas Cannondale days. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. To look for talented riders. And I will admit, Carapaz is probably most the most talented one that they... Really? 2017, Uran was second in the tour? Different era, though. Yeah, but I mean, Voktis has the numbers, so he knows he knows his riders better than yeah. three people having a cycling podcast, so... I just felt, I was, no, that's a different era of cycling. But like you said, there's still a shift after COVID, and the fact that Carapaz was on the podium of the tour post-COVID, I think is more impressive to me, even if it was a step lower than around finishing in second place prior to COVID in the Froome era. That's just my take on it. So I would say that Carapaz probably is the most kind of high-profile GC rider they have. I mean, that's definitely proved by how much they pay him, which has, you know, always been rumoured to be like two million, whatever, a year. 
don't quote me on that. That's just like, you know, random numbers get thrown around that nobody really has any sources for. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the Carap has... Well, I don't really know what I expect from this year. I think he really needs to be top five in the tour to be like, you know, a for, for EF to be quite happy with him. They've put a lot into him and considering that they got very little out of him last year, like Ewan was saying, giving him a run giving us a rundown of the results from twenty twenty three. I think that this does need to be a good year for Carapaz, for sure. He'd very quickly turn into a sort of um flash in the pan kind of writer. It is incredibly imp- impressive. Like his grand tour record is fantastic. Removed last year's Tour de France, of course, but he's been on the podium at an awful lot of these of these races. He's finished on the podium of a grand tour in 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. That's fantastic. Pogacar and Rockledge are the only people to actually Rockledge hasn't even done that. Pogacar is the only person to have done that. So it's it definitely shows his like longevity and I also think his his expertise in racing. He does have quite a good sixth sense in racing. We saw that I think really displayed in Turin on that GDOS stage back in 2022 where he really sort of ripped that race up. I know Bora did a lot of the work, but Carapaz had the instinct to sort of go for it and make the GC race a little bit more attritional in the end and brought it just, well, sort of fills it just to himself and Hinley in the final couple of kilometers of that stage. And when he won the GDOS back in 2019, there were some great tactics on show during that race. I don't think we've seen that level of Carapaz, in, even in terms of his tactics over the past 12 months, we saw some silly Carapaz tactics at the Dauphiné last year. At that stage, the first stage Jonas won in particular, he was a little bit sort of chaotic on that one. We, we just need to see him get back to his form, but I love this team. But have we really seen cohesion in supporting Carapaz in the past yeah. 12 months at EF? It just kind of seems like it's just a team which got so much promise, like your Chavez's and all those other South American riders, like, and powerless and stuff but it never seems to really form together into a like you say a cohesive unit carapaz i don't think this year wins a grand tour just because there's poggy and there's literally every man and his dog ever tour and then at the well there's going to be jonas he's going there and basically i just think that so long as there's one of the a pagacha or a jonas at a grand tour I just don't think Carapaz is winning. But if you were to remove those Galacticos people, like those proper top echelon people, do you think that Carapaz could win a Grand Tour if he goes there without any one of those? In other words, he could finish second at the GDOM. Yeah, basically. Yates against Carapaz would be an interesting battle. Yates is better in time trialing, but they're both quite similar riders in terms of their profile. But I think, yeah, I think Carapaz is probably one of the better of the non-Galacticos, but I think... The results from last year have definitely made me doubt that more than I would have like 12 months ago. I think I would have said Carapaz should be up there fighting for third place at the Tour de France. But now I'm thinking I don't really know if we even get top five at this year's Tour de France. Yes, we have more Galacticos, but I think there is a bit more of a chasm between him and even the sort of the people who will be the super domestiques, your giant Hindleys, your your Adam Yates is your, help me out here, um, Sasha Vlasov, Ayuso, Almeida, etc. Because, even maybe. Yeah, literally. I know what you mean. Like, the biggest difference to last, even just like two years, hasn't been really like the top level riders. It's been the supporting cast rising up to support those riders who have now infiltrated the top 10. It isn't just leader, 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 leader. 
maybe one super domestique occupying like a, an eighth it's like the super domestiques are now on podium places as well like this is getting towards when Freeman and Lander were kind of had like going like on the same team in sky back in like you know 2017 time yeah so it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard i'm with you and i'd see carapaz's position for this year being more of like a six to eighth sort of candidate than a fourth fifth what i would like to see in that case is the richard carapaz of the vuelta spania 2022 where he went on to win a number of stages in the breakaway and got the polka dot jersey and he used that race savviness and that flair that he has in a breakaway setting. That was really exciting to see that once the GC was over, boom, he flits into this new role. I think it'll be really interesting to see him perform that at the Tour de France next year. Will someone let Carapaz go off in the first week of racing, particularly when we have those high point stages to Pinerolo and the other one to is it Self Chevalier or wherever it is um, that, that goes over the, the Galibier, like... On those high point days, will someone let Carapaz go away in the breakaway that early on in the race? Maybe not. But hoovering up those points in the breakaway later on in next year's Tour de France could be a real way of him getting something out of that race and for EF to get something. They don't win Tour de France stages very often. Let's not forget. For them to win the polka dot jersey, that'll be a huge deal. For 2 million euros, you want the polka dot jersey? Okay, I'm a big fan of the polka dot jersey, but... Okay, okay, okay. Eighth mom, sixth place in GC. Or yeah, yeah, no, I know. Stage wins and polka dots. What's better at, at, at the Tour de France? <laughs> uh, I mean, if you ask uh, Alexander Minakurov when Poonsang was finishing sixth, seventh, he said that he would have preferred him to win a stage win because nobody remembers the lower top tens in uh, the next year's Tour de France. Who finished eighth in last year's Tour de France? Exactly. This face is Exactly. There we go. So yeah, it, it's valid. A stage win is more valuable than an eighth or a ninth or a sixth remember, or whatever. Remember Felix Gal? Anyways, <laughs> yeah. but he got a stage win, so he was he okay. Did, I remember the stage win of Codla was more exactly. But I mean, maybe Carapaz could try to do like a Felix Gal of like top ten and stage win because that's quite nice. And that's quite a, that's quite a decent way to to have a Tour de France. But Felix Gall and Richard Carapaz are on two different echelons. Richard Carapaz is a former Grand Tour winner here, one of the probably top fifteen most paid riders in the peloton. I don't know what that gets at. The article said Scott, you you were in the loop about that one. Is he top ten? No, he's not. But Tom Peacock is paid a lot of money, according to that article. Yeah, but think about all the baked beans eating flag. Waving <laughs> British people out there. And yeah, I mean, they have a lot of money as well. <laughs> I exactly. But is Carapaz actually gonna win a World Tour stage race this year? I don't know. Brandon McNulty's winning more stage races. Oh well, yeah, exactly. No, okay, uh-huh. world tour level. World tour level. If the Galactico stand by it, I'd go. Like if Jonas and Viacha and Remco and Roglic don't go, Carapaz will probably win one. But I just refuse to believe that there is... I don't think there's a World Tour level stage race where one of those four isn't ever in attendance. <laughs> Romandy. Romandy. That's it. That's where Richard <laughs> Carapaz will get his... But I use it might be there. I use it might be season. No. Yeah. <laughs> is that... The, is that... <laughs> the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, <laughs> 
that's the conclusion from this. Carapace and Jorgensen are going to battle it out for the Tour Remedy. But anyways, to conclude our birthday edition, so this is a very special writer of the week. Who are you going to bestow this very honorable accolade onto this week? I don't know. I've got two riders in mind. One of them made me look smart, and the other one actually did really well. I go over one who made me look smart. I'm going to give my ride of the week to Mate Mohoric for having the absolute coolies of fully broadcasting that he was going to go for a stage. Everybody knew it was going to happen, and then he went and did it anyway, and there was nothing that anybody could do about it. It was a descending masterclass. It was pure elegance on a descent, and for that, I really respect that Mohoric made my prediction correct. So thank you, Mate. You're my rider of the week. Okay, my rider of the week is going to be... An American, and for this, cowboy hat time. Yeehaw, it's Will Bartom of Movistar. He took a stage win at Comunica Balenciana. And I am all over this because I think Will Bartom is criminally slept on as a rider. Almost, well, stage back in 2020. And how different his life would have been, his career would have been if he took that stage win. He was dumped by CCC when that team folded. EF gave him a lifeline at very much the last minute. And then EF didn't renew his contract after a very disappointing 2021 2022 he ended up at movistar and he's found a little bit of a home it took some time to fit in but he's doing well now and uh, that breakaway win i think was really really nice to see him get his uh his first professional victory for a rider who has deserved so much more and promised so much in his youth days he's also from the potato state idaho so for that who else is from idaho who else, like no one's from idaho so fair enough. Will Barter, you were my rider of the week. I'm going to take this off now. I mean, a week where you had both Alberto Bestial and Alexander Vlasov on podiums and you give it to Will Barter. I picked Vlasov last week and... And he finished on podium. He's got, he's got more to give. He has a lot more to give, I'm telling you. Um, we've been talking and there are big plans for the spring. That's all I'm saying. Strada Bianca in his own backyard in, in Lombardy. That's where, not Lombardy, Tuscany, wrong region. That's where he's going to see his own success. The Tuscan Tornado. Speaking of which, did you see the tornado at the Alula tour? Yeah, it almost took William Jr. Leclerc off his freaking bike, probably. Poor little guy. It was the spirit of the Tuscan Tornado, Alberto Betiol, reminding everybody a storm is brewing on the white roads of Tuscany. In it's just about the, uh, all yeah. weeks' time. Oh, gosh, yeah. Outside of the echelons, about the only interesting thing that happened in those sand-ridden races is when a freaking duster comes along. Anyway, Scott, who's your rider of the week? I mean, it's only that... 20 days to Omelink as well. That's pretty cool. That is cool. I mean, the obvious choice is Mess Pilsen, but I can't keep picking Danes. I kind of want to go with Brandon McNulty because we, we talked about him last week and then he goes and does it. But... As an Ecuadorian friend of mine has said, Richard Carapaz is uber famous in Ecuador and Jonathan Navarez gets hardly any attention. So I'm going to pick the new Ecuadorian national champion. I think it's his second or third time. Yeah, he had it back in quick step days. So I'm going to go with him because Brandon Winolti, he had a lot of love from us. Well, not you, uh, last week. And Patrick. 
So, anyways, that is basically it for our birthday. Uh, no, wait. Oh, you're gonna do the cake. <laughs> All I'm gonna say is, I whilst doing right of the week, I just carved out what might be this. I'm like, can't even show you guys. That was a really stupid idea. What might be the saddest, saddest slice of cake you've ever seen? Wait, that cake was full at the beginning. What have you done, you? No, I haven't ate. I haven't eaten at all. It's <laughs> um, at all, it's just, it's just hard. Once again, wow, you're really getting a behind the scenes shot here. Ooh, ooh, wow. I thought it was nice. That's um, how much is gone. When I tell you this, this cost me like one euro from Lidl, eighty-five pence for our British viewers. They take euros in. <laughs> no, I was just doing the quick conversion. Um, hashtag flex. <laughs> hashtag flex. I know, I know, I know the immediate currency exchange. Here's a euro, take it. <laughs> um, I had to leave it to defrost for a couple hours. But here's to one year of this crazy podcast, this crazy journey. Thank you, everybody listening and subscribing for sticking around. It's it's been a wild ride. I don't know if anybody else wants to say a little birthday message. Make a wish. You know, I wish for world peace. I wish for Sasha Vlasov to be in a grand tour podium. And I wish for Alberto Betiol to win Stratobianca. Here's to one more here's to many more years. <laughs> Did you say one more year? <laughs> is, that, is that your expiry date? I, I don't know why I went for one more year. Maybe I was being pragmatic. We're gonna big heights man. I'm like a writer at quick step I, I go on a year by year basis or Lewis Hamilton oof full circle <laughs> full circle I don't know what I wish for I wish for the end of his damn Middle Eastern races <laughs> wow hate sand uh, I wish for Mess Pillison to win a monument oh yeah true I hope Tade wins the tour not Jonas uh, it would be fun if like no I kind of want Roglic to win the tour I'll just anybody bought Jonas actually, just, I'll change my answer. Just somebody different. How big of a flame do I need for that to happen? <laughs> I'll just set my house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Which flags do I have to burn? Can Jonas me go to not win the two defense? <laughs> Listen, I don't have anything against Jonas. It's just a he's won twice in a row now. I just want somebody else to do it. It's nothing personal. It's just Grinter. Well, on that light note. Uh, <laughs> this has been episode 54 and uh, thank you everyone for subscribing commenting as you said as well and you can check us out on spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts as well so with that thank you very much for watching and we will see you next week where it's the tour of colombia that will be quite interesting also to la provence yeah actually that's quite good yay it's another middle eastern race <laughs>